And we're live. We're live. Come on in, everybody. Do make sure you let me know that you can hear me in the comments. Make sure you can see me okay. I look clear on my screen. Let me know if you look, uh, if you can see me on your screen. Thank you all very much. Today we have a very special uh, episode. So what I'm thinking for today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to sit down and take the premise that uh, Elon has put forward of utilizing Tesla service or utilizing F1 repair techniques and F1 pit stop techniques in Tesla service and what would th what that would mean from a perspective of actually building out an entire service network with its supply chain, with the distribution centers, with the processes to get this done. And it's almost like, think of it as a way of uh, utilizing first principles uh, to, to tackle this problem. And I want to do this live. <laughs> so it's almost like you're going to be seeing a, a session where if, if I was asked a question of uh, sit down and go ahead and solve for this, uh, let's make this happen today. I'm going to go through it with you all and try to explain every piece of the puzzle that that's part of getting Tesla to have F1 style pit stops. Okay. And so it's a live stream. If you if you're here after the live stream has gone live, uh, sorry, <laughs> you missed it. But it's, a, it's recorded. So you will be able to go through it uh, as we go. And I'll be checking comments often. So if you guys have questions, if you guys have anything that you want me to revisit or is unclear, do let me know. I'll be checking comments from time to time. But yeah, we're going to sit down and go through the entire process of what it would take for Tesla to implement F1 style pit stops or service uh, uh, techniques in Tesla service. All right. So let's get started. Let's get started. I put together a little bit of a, um, a PowerPoint, which uh, is super anti uh, <laughs> Tesla almost, but I think it's going to help us really understand what's, what's happening. Okay. So here's my screen. Bloop. Magic. So when you think about Tesla service, Tesla service, it's not really just a service center or a body shop. It's not just the place that you go get your car serviced. It's a lot more than that. So you think about a, a, a service center and a body shop, what's required in those places to repair your car? That is parts. You need parts and you also need labor. But really the biggest limiting factor for anyone to be able to get service done at a specific service center or body shop is parts, okay? So where do these parts come from? These, all these parts originate from suppliers. All right. And so this is this red box here. And a supplier can be a multiple a multitude of things. A supplier can be a, a manufacturer or a third party company that makes parts for Tesla. It could be Tesla themselves that make the parts. But think of a supplier as the party that makes the parts. Right. So this could be the rims, the trim, the seats, the fascias, the windshields, anything, the, the, the wheel. Uh, the, the steering wheel, the pedals, everything, every, absolutely everything. A supplier supplies those parts. Now, what ends up happening with those parts as they get supplied to the Tesla network for service, those suppliers have an ability to send these parts to primarily two different locations. They either send them to a local distribution center and think of a local distribution center as essentially a warehouse that's going to stock keep parts for a specific region for the Tesla service centers or body shops that are in those regions, or they send it to a global distribution center 
right? And and this is a very common technique in uh, a supply chain and warehousing period. This is not like some sort of secret Tesla thing. I'm going to keep this super broad and talk about what it means from a supply chain perspective to make something happen. So this is not necessarily specific to Tesla, but this is how things get done usually and when it comes to supply chain and, and, and ensuring that a distribution network is healthy. So supplier has two options. Now, what is the difference between a global distribution center and a local distribution center? So a global distribution center, typically, they're built to be very, very large. They're built to be, say, you know, a million square feet, couple million square feet. And these are meant to house every single type of product that you could ever, ever need in your, um, in your task at hand or whatever you're doing it, which in this case is um, service. So these are uh, HV batteries. This could be fascias. These are uh, frames, everything, absolutely everything you could ever need. 100% of the parts you would ever need will go into this global distribution center. And there's typically one or two of these globally. And then you, the local distribution center is more geared towards a majority of the parts that are going to be needed at a specific uh, service center location, right? So this could be commonly used items like um, tires or again, wheels, 12-volt uh, batteries. You guys remember how uh, back in the day, 12-volt batteries were a gigantic pain in the ass with Teslas because those things kept dying, those 12-volt batteries would be a perfect candidate to go into a local distribution center, right? But there's also sometimes situations where, uh, say, strategy changes for parts and uh, something that was originally kept at, say, a global distribution center, we had to move to a local distribution center. So what ends up happening is that now you have supply that can flow from the global distribution center to the local distribution center. This is rare because it's kind of inefficient, right? If you really think about it, why can't you just go straight <laughs> to the service center? Why would you go to the local distribution center? Well, theoretically, you could you could ship those parts. But there could be strategies that say, hey, you know what? It makes more sense to have it locally, but that's a little too much detail. I want to go crazy into that. But you could also have a flow of uh, product that goes from the global distribution center down to the local distribution center. But ultimately, what ends up happening is that these distribution centers are the primary sources, really the only sources that would ship product to the service center or body shop, right? So all these parts that are uh, provided by the supplies, for this by the suppliers, flow through a, through a local distribution or a global distribution center to get the parts to the service center or body shop. Sometimes it goes from the global there, sometimes it goes to local distribution center there, sometimes it goes global to distribution center to there, but this line, think of it as a very inefficient line, but it does happen rarely, but it does sometimes it does happen. Okay, so that's how parts arrive at a at a service center or body shop. So, what are the complexities behind that, and why would a uh, having a F one type uh, service in Tesla make it a little bit difficult to execute this? So, ideally, the the best case scenario to ensure that parts get to a service center as fast as humanly possible, so that the um, the, the the shop can get that stuff done will be from the supplier to the service center, right? The question becomes, if we use first principles, why would you even need this uh, step in the middle? Why do you have to go through the, through the distribution center, right? But he, here's the complexity of suppliers. What happens with suppliers? So suppliers typically, <laughs> I can't believe I'm using a PowerPoint for this. <laughs> this is so weird, but we'll do it. Uh, uh, suppliers, what ends up happening is suppliers typically, this is a majority of the time, they will send an entire truckload 
they'll send an entire truckload, which is, think of it as a truck here, of one part. And this is the only way they can send the parts because it makes economic sense for them to do so. This is how they make money on their product. And so what ends up happening is you have an entire truckload of one part. So say one, um, um, I don't know, let's use wheel as an example. Say this is a wheel supplier. This entire truck is gonna be filled with 200 wheels. And that is the only way they'll ship you that part because shipping multiple pieces of that part to you is gonna be prohibitively expensive. The reason why these suppliers are able to make money is because they're able to ship these things in bulk. They're able to cube out these, um, these truckloads to get it to the customer, which in this case, a huge majority of the time is some sort of customer that can consume a truckload at a time or a, service, a, a distribution center of some sort of a warehouse. So imagine a situation where all the product would have to flow from the supplier to the service center. You're gonna have a situation where the service center is gonna require how many different types of parts to fix a car. They'll need, like I said, wheels, tires, trims, seats, uh, fascia, body panels, so on and so forth, windshields, harnesses, everything. So a, bo a body shop or a service center, if you think about their layouts, if you've ever been to a service center or a body shop, they're not that big. <laughs> and most of the space that's taken up in a, in a service center it's mostly for the shop, right? I'll save that picture for later. It's mostly for a shop. I have the, I found this confused guy in a parts room, which I think happens so much in a service because he's trying to find the right part. But this is typically what they look like. You know, they typically they have a stock room and then most of the shop is uh, made up of, of vehicles, of the actual uh, areas where you fix these vehicles. So the challenge then becomes if a supplier is gonna send me parts directly to the service center, how the hell am I gonna stock 200 wheels in my service center or my body shop? It's impossible. It's literally impossible. And that's only one part, right? So you have to do this for probably a thousand different parts. You think about the nuts and the screws and the bolts and the, all the other parts that you need, right? So this step right here, this step right here has to go through a distribution center. And the reason why is because distribution centers have a lot of room. They have a lot of room. And that is the primary reason why warehouses and service centers are so valuable. It's because they're able to take what a supplier sends you in bulk with these huge truckloads of one part, and then they have the room to take that one part, bring it in, and stock it in, in their warehouse, you know? 300, 400, 5,000, 500,000 square feet of space, you can allocate a portion of your warehouse to stock that part. And then that also gives you the flexibility to take that stock in and then send it to multiple server center locations, right? So think of it as like a sorting process. I get one truckload of 200 wheels. I utilize my space to essentially say these 200 wheels are gonna be able to service 100 different service centers. And then you send them to the service center through your distribution network. Okay, but within that specific thing that we just talked about, the biggest limiting factor at a service center or a body shop is space, is space, right? You can't get all the pieces in at once to the service center to try and bypass this. And so when you have the distribution center step in the middle, that adds time, that adds time to the entire process of repair. You know, if, if it takes one day to get the supplier parts to the global distribution center, it's gonna take another day to get it to the service center or body shop. So you've already built in two days 
worth of lag time from sending a part out to the service center, uh, to the to the service center from the supplier. But from a uh, space perspective, you have to have the service, uh, the, the the distribution center in the middle. So uh, do let me know if that makes sense so far in the uh, in the comments. Um, I do see some comments already that are sort of thinking about uh, super long term what it would mean to really solve this service issue and 100% correct the best repair is no repair, 100%. But we live in a world right now where we need repair, <laughs> unfortunately. So you still have to make sure the, the customers can get service. It's just what, what needs to happen is that it needs to be done as quickly as humanly possible so you can get customers out the door uh, and super happy as fast as humanly possible, right? So now that we've a little bit understand the flow of parts a little bit better, then we can kind of get into, okay, so what, what, what would it have to take for a the, uh, service center to be able to do a repair, say, same day or within, you know, an hour as, a, or, you know, less than an hour, as Yvonne described it. So we went through the process of why uh, it's impossible for suppliers to get the parts directly to the service centers, and that's because of space. And they're laid out in a way so that they have... Uh, most of their space allocated to the vehicles. So what would it ha what would we need for them to be able to do that? So you essentially need a, a, a capability of having the parts that you need for that specific repair for that day. Let me blow myself up so that we can make this point a little bit more succinct. Uh, succinct, succinct, who says that? What we actually need is the ability for the service center to have all their parts every single part that they would ever need for that repair at the location when the car needs service. And that's extremely difficult. That's extremely difficult when your stock room is not very large, super, super hard. So a lot of different ways to tackle this problem that you could do is you could figure out how to serve certain parts to the service center based on what type of repair you need from the cars. And that's something that uh, Tesla very likely does today. I'm not going to say yes or no because I can't. But it's very likely that, that they do this. Is And it's due to the fact that they have a phone app. And all the service flows through the app. But why is that super valuable? That's a data point in the app that helps a company understand what type of service you need. So when you go on the app and you say, I need a 12-volt battery changed, or you need... A, uh, a trim, you know, my seat is uh, squeaking or this trim is falling off or my AC doesn't work. That's a signal to the system that says these parts, right? Part one, two, three or four, five, six are going to be needed in this location for this date for the repair. So that's a signal that gets sent to the service center that allows them to order those parts in uh, when they need it. Okay. But that becomes extremely difficult it becomes extremely difficult if you're limited in space. So you can only do it for a, a portion of those parts. You can only do it for a portion of those parts. So you can maybe do it for wheels, maybe for 12-volt batteries, maybe for trim, uh, maybe for a few other things. But you can't do it for every single piece because you would literally run out of space. So then the big question becomes, the big question becomes, how can, how can Tesla, how can Tesla get to a point where as much as of their repairs as humanly possible gets to a point where they're able to have this sort of style repair, where they can have a 
car flow through essentially. You can have a bunch of crew members or you know repair people go up to the car and do the repair and leave and try to expand that as, as much as humanly possible. So the one benefit that Tesla does have today, again, with the app, is that theoret theoretically, they should be able to do that today with a portion of the parts, with, with probably like a, I don't know, uh, call it whatever percentage of parts, they should be able to do that today. And really, the, the big innovation is going to come from uh, in that specific step, it's to uh, essentially try and figure out how to get the service centers to uh, rejigger their process of repair so that it closely uh, mirrors what a F1 or pit stop style repair would look like. Right now, traditionally, if you've been to a Tesla service center, it's probably looked kind of similar to this, and this is no secret. I mean, this is not from a this is not from a Tesla service center picture. This is just a picture that I got from Google. But if you go to any any service center, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have been to a service center. If you own the car for for you know either to pick up the car or to get some routine thing uh, addressed, it looks like this. You have lifts. You know, you you pull up your car. You go up the lift, you come down the lift, so on and so forth, and they, and they do the repair for you. Sometimes they don't even need a lift; they'll just you know go in and, and do the fix. Sometimes they'll just send a mobile service person to your to your place, right? And what's interesting about the mobile service thing is that the mobile service process is actually pretty similar to this, if you really think about it. The mobile service tech get goes up to your car, they take the parts from the nearby garage, which for an F one pit stop person will be right here but they'll just walk to their van or car or whatever they used to get there. They'll take the part, they'll go into your car, fix it and bounce. So then the question becomes, how can we get this done? How can we get this done in an actual service center? How can something like this get done in a service center? So in my eyes, the way I think about this, and again, this is just me thinking out loud and, and trying to get you guys brought into how uh, something like this will be tackled is that the layout of the service center would have to be something closer, a little bit closer to this layout, where the car can come in. It's almost like a row of cars. You know, if you think about a pit lane for for F1, I'm actually, let me, let me uh, bring up a, a, what a pit lane would be for F1 so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Pit lane F1. Uh, that I meant to hit images. Okay, perfect. So if you look at this picture, you can see that there is a, essentially a whole row where uh, drivers drive through, and then they each have their individual sort of pit spots that look like that look like this. But essentially, of having multiple pit, pit pit stops, you could just have one pit stop or one or two areas where you have a row of cars flowing through, and then they can go on repair, gone, repair, gone. And then the thought process there could also be is that if the driver doesn't need to be out of the car, as an example, why would you even have them exit the car and go inside the service center? Just have the driver, you know, have it in the same way where you schedule on the app, hey, my service appointment is at 3 p.m. on a Tuesday. Instead of going to park the car, going inside, hey, I'm here, right? I'm here, can you repair my car? They're like, yeah, go wait, we'll come get your car when you're ready. Simply just drive up to the pit, lane for the thing. Don't even exit your car. Somebody comes to your car, roll down your window. I'm here for my 3 p.m. appointment. Cool. We'll get you up uh, here in five minutes because they've timed it so that the, the one in front of you is leaving, right? The guy leaves, you drive up to the spot, a couple of texts come in, they fix your car, 
you leave. <laughs> Done. You never have to leave your car. You just drive up to the thing and go. So why is that cool? In a, in a world where uh, you have full self-driving, you already have a process that takes care of that. So now you're utilizing that process to get a car to go through in there with a driver, but you've set up a, a process and a, and a, uh, a where flow where the full self-driving car would also benefit from that. So that's one way of, of, I think, speeding up the process is bypass the whole park the car, go inside, talk to a guy, wait, they go get your car, get it in the shop, fix it, bring it back out. There's like, what, seven steps there, All right? Just drive up to the lane and they'll just fix your car. There's a question here from Jupiter. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I see, I heard, I saw but, and I love questions that start with but. But how would they repair things that are not part of the typical list of things, like a problem with seats or wheel alignment or whatever? That's a really good question. So that's why I prefaced it with uh, if the driver, if the driver is not in a in a situation where they're um, they're impeding the repair. So if it's anything that's within where the driver is sitting or they're located in, then those uh, theoretically wouldn't be able to take advantage of this pit lane. Or what you could do is within within the service center parking lot, just enable full self driving exit your car, and then the car will drive itself up to this pit lane. How difficult would that be to do? So then we think about that too. How do we leverage the existing full self-driving technology to get the car to go to this pit lane? Because theoretically, you probably don't even need a driver, right? So the driver may end up uh, uh, you know, stepping out, and then you just step out, and then the car just drives up to the lane on its own. And then uh, wheel alignment, uh, and this is where I'm curious to get everyone's opinion. Um, why does a driver have to exit a car if the car is being lifted? Is and I'm sure it's probably safety reasons, but this is how we kind of what we, the kind of questions we have to ask, right? Why can't we have a lift where the driver can just stay in the car and then the lift takes up the car? You can do whatever you need underneath the car and then lift it back down and the driver just leaves. Does a lift require a person exiting the car? And if that's the case, how do, can we build lifts? where the driver doesn't have to exit the car and we know it's going to be safe 100% of the time. Is that possible? Because that will help speed up this process, right? If you don't have this lack time of going in and checking in, which is probably 50% <laughs> of the time it actually takes to repair a car sometimes, depending on what it is, the whole, you know, go in, check in, wait, go back to your car, get the car, bring it in, bring it out. That's what a 15, 20 minute process. Sometimes actual repairs don't take that long. So then how can we remove that variable and have the driver just be the one that's moving the car? Again, full self-driving, right? So I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that. So that's another way of doing it. Um, but that's a good question. That's a really good question. But that's the kind of thing we have to think through, right? Like what are the things that could enable us to really get the car to go into a, something like a pit lane? Now, from a, from a perspective of um, actually having the parts there, actually having the parts at the, the at the service centers to do the F1 style pit service. Uh, another thing that we could do that we can figure out is how do we get more parts in the service center so that we're able to do these F1 style pit stops, knowing that we have a limited amount of space, knowing that we're in a situation where we have a stock room that's filled with parts like this, or that we have very limited space because most of the service center is filled up with cars. One of the things that Tesla could leverage, and this is just an uh, example of a cargo van, uh, and this could be, you know, put it within the context of Tesla potentially coming out with a van at some point, okay? 
what if Tesla were to start to leverage the actual vehicles that deliver parts to a service center as pick locations for the parts? So let me walk through that a little bit, that, that, that um, logic. So a parts room looks like this, right? A parts room typically looks like this. And what ends up happening is a truck shows up at your location. They pick parts. Again, they pick parts from the distribution centers. They send it to the service center using a truck or a van or a small truck or whatever. There's a bunch of different ways to deliver parts. And then those parts get removed from the vehicle. Then they get sorted and added to these bins. And then what ends up happening for the repair is somebody goes out, probably this guy here who's kind of confused and doesn't know where the part is, right? Then you take those parts, you bring it out to the car and you do the repair and you have to walk from the stock room to the car. I'm wondering if there's an opportunity for Tesla to really improve uh, the time, how long it takes to get a repair done and, and how many parts are available there. What if they can start leveraging the actual vehicles that deliver the parts as locations for them to take the pieces and the parts that they need to repair? And so I'm thinking something like this. So think of this as a pit lane, right? Think of this as a pit lane. And the cars here, so they said, that's the cars here and you got the repair folks here, right? What if within the shop, or within the area that they're doing the, the repairs, what if they allocate some uh, areas where these vans can just park at those areas that have come from the service center and the vans are sorted in a way so that the parts are very easily accessible and then you just pick straight from the van. So the van shows up in your location with all the parts you need for that day that are additional to whatever you have in the stock room to maximize the number of cars you can repair. And then instead of walking between the stock room, you just walk up to the van that delivered that day for that car. You take the parts from the cargo van, straight from the cargo van, and then you use those parts to repair the car. Instead of having this process of truck arriving, sorting, putting away, guy confused, take the cars, or take the parts, take it to the car. Instead, you just use utilize a van of some sort that has arrived at your, at your location that morning or five minutes before your repair time, open the van up, take the parts, which are gonna be an order of which one's first to which one's last, take those parts and then use those parts to repair the car. So that could be another way of improving the process as well. But ultimately, I think that the, by far the biggest limiting factor when it comes to F1 style uh, type of service is going to be the parts. How many parts, how many parts can we get into the service locations so that they can maximize the number of cars that are able to take advantage of this one hour or less repair time? I think, in my opinion, I think that's going to be the biggest limiting one. The layout of the actual service, of the actual process of repairing the car, I don't think is going to be nearly as difficult as figuring this mess out this supplier to distribution center to service center or body shop and ensuring that all the right parts are always at the right place and trying to maximize how many parts you can have in a location utilizing cargo vans as essentially additional square footage of parts that you need and really sorting your um, parts room to ensure that you can stick as many cars or parts as humanly possible in those locations that in my opinion i think is by far 
by far the biggest piece of this puzzle. But I hope this was helpful. I hope this was helpful in sort of understanding the, the type of challenges that go into implementing something like this. It's not impossible. I really don't think it's impossible. I really, I really think what it comes down to is trying to get to a point where you're truly able to maximize how many cars you can repair at once. And that is the limiting factor there is not necessarily repair space at a body shop or a service center because you have, if it's less than an hour for every car and every repair, theoretically you can, and if you have multiple lanes to do that, you can do a ton of cars for the entire day. It's gonna be the parts. It's gonna be the parts. But let me know what you think. Let me know what you think about this whole whole thing. If you have any questions, drop them in the comments. Uh, we'll go through those. If you wanna come on and ask a question or share a thought live, here's a link for uh, coming on and asking a question. So let me go through and um, and I'll go through some comments and see uh, what uh, what some people think. So Kevin said, so we talked about uh, having people in a lift and the lift going up with the driver inside so you can just remove the time of the driver going into the service center and uh, you know that 15, 20 minute process of checking in, going in, walking out, the guy gets your car, puts it in the service center, walks back out, takes your car back out. Not a left lawyers would never be cool with that. Maybe driver over a literal pit on the floor, but even that is sketched from a liability standpoint. Okay, so I can understand that. So then the question becomes, can we implement any steps or can we implement any additional safety features that would allow us to do that? Or better yet, can we get to a point where we leverage the full self-driving technology in these cars to drive to these pit lanes and not even have the human involved, the driver? but have a very similar process over the car just goes straight through the lane and it checks itself in. So something like that could potentially be um, uh, one of the solutions. Uh, but you don't lift the car, you put the technicians on a lower level. So that's uh, sort of along the same lines that uh, Kevin put put in, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can just drop the technicians instead of lifting, lifting them up. But in my eyes, it's kind of like, it's, it's kind of the same thing. There's somebody working underneath. The question becomes, do we have to worry about the person that is uh, inside the vehicle when this car is lifted? Um, will structural battery pack allow for faster repairs? Only if it's uh, for the battery. Uh, and, the, and the battery is very, very, very uh, unlikely to have any issues. So this is more with like tires, trim, panels, um, things like that, you know? Uh, so I, I'm not really sure if it's going to be anything related to uh, battery because th those happen very few and far between. Very few and far between. Uh, for the cars that arrive on a flatbed, maybe a crash, uh, a car wash, drag, the car style F1 lane. Yeah, you could do that as well. You could totally do that as well. That makes a lot of sense. All right, we got our first uh, uh, guest here. Eric, can you hear me, my friend? Hey, Farzad. Yep, I can All hear right. you good. Let me see. I, I'm having some issues with my audio. Give me a second. Let me see if I can hear you. All right. Can you say something again, Eric? Yep. Doing well. Hello. How about you? Can you guys hear Eric by any chance? I can't hear Eric. Let How about see. if I do Let that? Make sure my audio is set up is that correctly. Better? Oh, it's not set up correctly. Sorry. Give me a second here. I'm a moron. Go ahead. Say something again, Eric. Uh, good morning. How are you? There we go. I got you now. I'm doing great, man. How you doing? I don't know how to Good. set up my computer, apparently. <laughs> how can I help you? So how about if they build it much like they build the manufacturing facilities with the truck bay doors going down the sides? 
Mm-hmm. So it'd be like a narrow, a long, narrow building that's maybe four or five cars wide. But then yeah. as you pull in the end of it, they say, okay, you're here for X repair. That means you need to go to Bay 45 left or right. Yeah. And you'd go down and pull in. You wouldn't, I mean, if you're sitting on a level surface and they don't have to jack your car up, you know, maybe you don't have to get out or maybe yeah. you just you pull into the building and they you get out of the car there. And like you said, they send the car to Bay 45. And then, you know, you walk to the other end and there's a lounge or whatever, or you just go sit down in a lounge and the car comes back to you when it's done. You know, yeah. so just if you imagine a long, skinny building and then outside there just be tractor trailer trucks, you know, trailers full of supplies. Like you said, I don't care. Ship me a whole, you know, truckload full of tires because we're going to need them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. what do you think of that? That's a, really good, that's a really good idea. I think I think that's that would make the most sense in a situation where you're uh, you're building a new service center. I think the question becomes. How would you handle that for all the existing service centers that exist today? And is the F1 style pit stop under this context only reserved for the, like, say, the new style of service center? And and are the current service centers not capable of doing that? Because I, I don't think I don't think uh, the service centers that exist right now would have sort of like the that ability to build that that exact layout. Maybe you could do like a minimized version of it. And I don't know what the regulations are around, say, adding dock doors in an existing building. I don't know if that's like, I'm sure you, you can, but you probably have to go through a bunch of different steps, but then that impacts the layout of the building right now. And is that uh, layout conducive to adding that dock door, right? It's a really good idea. I'm curious, what do you think about the existing service centers? Do you think that's possible with with what they have now? I don't know if it's possible with the existing ones, but keep in mind, yeah. like a lot of new malls, you know, a lot of old malls had department stores, which would have, you know, typically two or three dock doors or maybe even four, yeah. uh, you know, for bringing stuff in. Cause a lot of them sold furniture and appliances. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of that kind of uh, mall space that's just sitting empty or becoming empty. I know our mm-hmm. local mall here in Beaver County in Western Pennsylvania, it's just slowly but surely dying away. And, mm. you know, my thought was, you know, with electric cars, why couldn't you just make the whole thing the service bay? Because you can drive That's an electric true. car and it's not like you're filling it full of noxious gases, you know, yeah. so it can just drive in there and drive wherever you want it to, you know. So yeah. maybe they tell you, hey, drive your car over to JC Penney's and they're going to take care of your interior, <laughs> you know. Different department stores, like a different repair. (laughs) JCPenney for the interior. You go to Ross's or whatever for your exterior. (laughs) Yeah. No, I think that that's a really good idea. I think that's that's that would have fit right within the context of like how Tesla would approach a problem for us, especially for a new for a new um, something that they want to do brand new. And I really like your idea for a for a new uh, style service center. But I think that the challenge becomes for the entire infrastructure they've built out now with the existing uh, service centers, how would they be able to um, uh, make that happen? And I'm curious to see. I mean, what, what I sort of outlined, I think, would be probably more uh, in line with a, with an existing service center to try and rejigger what's going on. But obviously, when you go to a brand yeah. new format, you can do whatever, right? You have the luxury of starting from scratch. So, um, But no, great thoughts, Eric. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you calling in again. Yeah, me Appreciate and Cowboy support, are man. out. Thanks. All right. <laughs> Have fun, brother. Bye. Awesome.
Eric is a man. By the way, those that were asking that uh, their room looks very futuristic, he's actually uh, uh, a groomer, and that's why there's a dog there, and that's his uh, grooming room. I think he has a he has a um, portable grooming business where he goes around and uh, cleans up your dog. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, read some more comments. What uh, What about a uh, customer picking some parts from distribution center in his way to service center? It could save even days in some cases. Yeah, that's that's a decent point. I think there, you're asking the customer to be part of the supply chain, and I don't think that's as like acceptable in my eyes. Like say when I was working there. And they were, you know, one of the uh, one of the things was like, well, we can just give the part to the customer and they can go take it to the service center. And we're, we would all then say, okay, but why not just get the part earlier there so that they don't have to do that, right? So it, this is almost like a crutch, I would say. Yeah, it would help, but I don't think it would fly. Good idea, but I don't think it's within the, the standard of what, what Tesla would want to do. Uh, we have touch. We have touchless delivery. Checking the car in is probably not as big a deal as just having the parts. So it's more about how to get the parts where they need to be for each day's appointment. That's exactly right. And I know. I mean, what, while I was there, that was a a huge, a huge um, challenge, constantly to try to make that happen. And if Tesla's trying to get this F1 style delivery uh, pit stop service system to as many cars as humanly possible, then the question becomes again how. How many more parts can we get into this footprint so that we were able to do that for as many cars as humanly possible? Um, yeah, I can use a mobile groomer. Yes, you can. Instead of mobile service, you can have mobile grooming. Another comment from Roger, even better, group part kits for common jobs at the main warehouse. Keep the 50 most common kits on the area delivery van, delivery van, deliver just in time, tack for the job from the van, restock overnight. Mwah, perfect. Perfect, that's exactly right. Something like that would be great, especially in this style where I feel like we're like group sourcing how to solve this. <laughs> we're a group, uh, what is it called? Group, um, uh, yeah, we're just uh, getting together and, and solving problems together. Exactly right. So if we do what, what was just outlined here by Roger, group uh, park kits for common jobs at the main warehouse, keep the 50 most common kits on the area delivery van, deliver just in time, tag for the job from the van. Perfect, you can load them up in the van. Uh, and you'll know the appointments of the cars and maybe you can have the kits subgrouped in a way so that we know which car gets what job or just have them, like you said, just kit them and just have them as, as picking locations. And then the repair person can just go in the van, grab the part, boom, fix right on the spot. Great idea. Re I really like that idea. That's a really good idea. Kevin, how you doing, my friend? Hey, good present. Sorry, I'm fixing the light. So All good. Uh, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, I, I've been kind of multitasking, so I'm not paying too much attention to the, you know, some of the logistical backend stuff you've been talking about. But sure. the whole idea of a pit stop got me into. This is the first time I've done a live stream of any kind. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking at this more from a customer experience kind of standpoint, and I don't have a Tesla right now, so I don't day to day do supercharging or you know, I haven't been to a service center, you know watch enough to kind of get a sense of what that situation is like. But I've had plenty of service appointments with cars, you know, and the kind of concierge service that you have with a Lexus, BMW, whatever, is something that I've, I'm at least accustomed to. I'm looking at the real estate that you guys have, that Tesla has with the superchargers themselves being the big leverage point. And I like Eric's mm. idea about 
putting some supercharges in old, you know, derelict malls, you know, the old Sears service bays that are probably just gathering dust right now probably could be repurposed pretty easily. Um, but the whole idea is take these service, uh, take the supercharger spaces and expand them from just being a place where maybe you go to the nearby McDonald's to really owning the whole experience. If Tesla would vertically integrate the whole supercharger real estate stack, they'd have you know a building next door, you know a McDonald's fast food menu kind of thing somewhere in there. They could have you know some other businesses renting, other other restaurants renting stalls. You know, make it you know coffee shops. You know, whatever you want to talk about, you're going to go there typically for a half hour to recharge your battery, but you know, what better place to have a little back warehouse full of parts, high value or high frequency replaced parts. And even the mobile, you could have a lift somewhere in the back, maybe if you really needed one. But um, what I'm thinking is even the, the the mobile service guys could rendezvous, you know, yeah. Some, somehow we've figured out that there's a, uh, a problem, you know, the, the, the cars know what's wrong with themselves before you do. So they report back to the mothership. Hey, you know, wiper fluid's low. You know, show up at the next supercharger. Here's some wiper fluid. Put it in. You know, bad example, but you know, maybe the wipers are. You know, I, I don't know how much how smart the cars are about what parts are about to break, but the frequently yeah. replaced parts like that that you could just go to a supercharger place, uh, supercharger location. Uh, yeah, I think you could have a good customer experience. No customer wants to be caught in a lift. Uh, and need to go to the bathroom after 15 minutes and then <laughs> <That's true. laughs> be locked in their car. So I, you know, that, <laughs> that's I, fair. I was kind of like putting the kibosh on that idea, right? Yeah, that's fair. Game, but, I appreciate that. But, uh, but anyway, the whole idea is to really make a pit stop for the human driver and the car out of the supercharger locations and just build on that idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. And I think the fact that you're leveraging the real estate already to make that happen, which you theory, I guess they technically own because the or they're part owners at, at least because they have the chargers there, then the I think what's interesting there is the parts can be delivered in multiple ways. Like you could have a stock room or some sort of building that is acts like a sort of like a local warehouse. But then I wonder is leveraging say mobile service or vans or cargo vans that we talked about, just have that. You don't even have to freaking throw up a building. Just get a vehicle there that's gonna have parts for that hour or that day's repair, and then just mm -hmm. pick from the van. And then once you're done, boom, you just leave and then you know restock and come back the next day. I really like that idea a lot. And it's mm -hmm. it's just, it comes down to a question of square footage needed to make this happen. Like how how can we expand how many places we can do this? And a supercharger location, I think makes a lot of sense. I really like that idea. And you can leverage, like you said, leverage the existing businesses that you don't even know to give the customer a good experience by using the businesses around it, which you don't even have to pay a dime for. And the customer will be happy. That's a great exactly. idea. Really good. I appreciate you sharing that, man. Thank you so much for coming on. That's a really good idea. Appreciate your brother. Thanks, Kevin. Bye. That's a really good idea. What do you guys think about that? Roger says, uh, Kevin's idea is perfect for the semi. Uh, truck reports the fault and destination for immediate service. Good idea. Tomas, how you doing, my friend? Welcome Hi. back. Hi, good. Um, yeah, nice to be here again. I just had sure. an idea. Um, more like I had a thought that I don't think optimizing for speed is the right approach. It should be optimizing for happiness of customer. So, mm. for example, I actually had my car in service uh, around a month ago. Um, the total repair took around five weeks. 
it was <laughs> due to parts not being available. Mm -hmm. So, uh, to me, it's fine to wait even one, one month, two months to get the car repaired. The problem was that it was incredibly frustrating because I didn't know if it would take one week or half a year. And, you know, mm. in, in Poland, there was uh, uh, some celebrity in Warsaw it was waiting for the car to be repaired for six months. I don't know if in the end the car got repaired or not, but basically the body shop even didn't respond to her calls anymore because every time they were just saying that, oh, we are still waiting for parts from Tesla. And mm. Tesla doesn't really provide the body shop with any kind of information about the status. So... Honestly, I'm, I was not really, when my car was in service, I was not bothered that I had to wait five weeks. I was bothered that I didn't know how long I would have to wait. This was, yeah. especially hearing the horror stories from, especially this one in Warsaw, but, but even in the body shop where my car was, there was another Tesla waiting for three months. Mm. So, so the, the body shop just couldn't give me any estimate. Mm. Uh, yeah, so that's a bummer. That's a huge uh, so, bummer. Yeah, yeah. I, I think yeah, optimizing for speed is great. But you know, if I have to go to service and the experience really sucks and makes me angry, I don't care that the car got repaired in one hour. But yeah. if it takes a few weeks, but it's a very, very happy experience, then I'm satisfied. Yeah. No, so I think I, you bring I, up a like a, a really good point with communication. I think communication is something that um, especially as Tesla grows, uh, it becomes the chances of a person having a, uh, a, a bad experience increases because the net number of cars being repaired increases because you just have a lot more cars out there driving around. And so the chances of have somebody having a, a one person having a bad experience goes up dramatically. And so you have to you have to solve for that with communication. I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I do think the speed perspective, though, I do think it's uh, helpful for both, especially if you have the communication stuff figured out, because the customer gets their car back as soon as humanly possible. So they have yes. as little um, as little inconvenience as possible. And then Tesla can do a lot more repairs per service center. You know, so like they don't have to build out more service centers to make that happen. So from their perspective, I would think it would make a lot of sense for them to want to repair things as fast as humanly possible. Like they yes. both benefit. Yes. But the problem you bring up is super legit because that's and just a communication issue. You know, that's like that's not acceptable. Like three months um, mm -hmm. and not not being told or however long that was and not knowing when stuff gets done, you know, that or where, where the parts are, that's not cool. And then what, what what's interesting about the body shop experience, though, is that's because body shops are third party most of the time. Uh, body shops are not incentivized to tell you that they're at fault. They'll just be like, oh, Tesla is not telling us or Tesla is not telling us. Right. So that we've, we've like when I worked at Tesla, that sometimes happened too. like the partnership so, is just we're going to send you parts. But the body shop yeah. ain't going to say, like, if they can blame Tesla, they'll blame Tesla. You know, that's the status themselves in the app. A hundred percent. A hundred percent agree there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So speed is good. However, I think this is not the direct thing that should like directly. It should be optimized for happiness, happiness and yeah. speed, speed increases happiness. So it's also part of the optimization, but mm, I, I'm not sure how to explain this in English. Just no, I got you. It makes a lot uh, of sense. 
It makes you just you just want to optimize for happiness, and sometimes it's speed, sometimes it's communication, sometimes it's an, amenities. It's like there's a bunch of different things, right? Sometimes it's just uh, helping your customer uh, with something that might inconvenience them is location. There's a bunch of different things, right? So those are great points. That's a really really good point. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually yeah. curious what would what is the main source of frustration because reading comments online seems like many people are frustrated because of the lack of communication. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. I, I do see that as well. I think I think what's interesting there too is when, um, like service just sucks period for anything. Like getting stuff uh, serviced, is, it sucks. And I remember when I was at a, uh, like when I had my gas car, I had such a hard time finding a service center in my area when I lived in PA that would do what you described, which is just tell me, like you told me it was going to be repaired today. How come it's not repaired? You know, like funnily enough for me, I've had a much better experience being in the Tesla ecosystem, but I 100% know that there's others that don't have the same experience. You know, I know for a fact that there's people out there, um, again, as the fleet increases, the number of people and that number of people that are going to be unhappy will probably increase. So, uh, but those are great points, man. I appreciate you coming on and sharing that, Tomash, uh, again. And uh, great to see you again, my friend. Take cool. it easy, brother. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Appreciate you. Great. This is a very, very good... Um, discussion. I'm really enjoying this so far, y'all. Uh, if you do want to come on and share uh, any any thoughts or a question about this, would be great. Uh, we'll go for a little bit longer. And uh, let's go ahead and uh, bring up another comment. For many things, the customer should only come in once the parts are there. Tesla should have the data available to give a heads up. Your tires come in tomorrow, come in for a five minute F1 pit stop. Yeah, exactly. And then at that point then becomes optimizing the space that they have to ensure to be able to do that because then the part situation is solved, then it becomes, okay, what percentage of this, if, given that it's an existing service center, and then we'll have to build a new one to do this F1 style pit stop, which I would imagine that would be the case. Then, you know, drive up to lane, drive up to the pit stop lane, and there's like a dude with a freaking, you know, thing that jack up your car, <laughs> and you bounce, right? How cool would that be? And what's cool about this too, is that, Really, the only company that could do this is Tesla or a company that owns the entire server supply chain because a third-party company is going to have a much tougher time doing this because not every car is the same and not every part is the same. And uh, and they, they, they don't really control the, the flow of the parts and when they would need a specific part to come in. That's the beauty of, having, of owning service as a company is you have every single data point to be able to make this happen. So then the exciting thought becomes, if Tesla is able to do this, they're the only ones that can do this. No one else will be able to do this unless the, that uh, that company, that service center that will be third party invests a gigantic amount of um, money and space to ensure they have every part they would ever need to be able to do that F1 style um, a service at their location. So. They could do it. I mean, they, they could say, hey, we'll do F1 style stuff for, you know, there's all there's quick oil changes and there's quick tire places, you know. But if we're expanding it to more things, then it becomes a little bit more difficult if you don't own the entire end-to-end um, -end service supply chain. High-end full-service car washes are a good template for some of the service envision for the car. They could do more for a driver. Yes, that's, that's a good uh, thought because you, there's a lot of real estate in these... Uh, in these uh, car washes, like that's a, such a good point. We went and got a car wash at our local car wash and they have so much room. Like they have so much room, pretty wild. 
I don't know if it's hours, but it is parts not being available. And if you're open 24 seven, you would still have a ton of downtime waiting for set parts. Unless you have a train of these suckers. It's almost like you could have warehouses on wheels that are constantly, you know, like you have just vans that could continuously deliver parts, especially if they're self-driving. The, the self-driving piece for this, for this type of uh, service thing could solve so much of that because you don't really have to worry about paying a driver to get parts to your location at four o'clock or two o'clock in the morning. You just load up the van for the day and then they just boop, boop, boop. They start going out. They go out at the right time. They leave at the right time. They go out at the right. And you just, all you have to do is just load them up. You just load them up, you know? The self-driving piece kit could help a lot with this. It's kind of crazy. Um, to add to that, Tesla could even know from having 20 minutes ahead that the customer is incoming and when he will be there, right? And you know they they they'll know the GPS location of the of on the phone, right? That they're able to track uh, where the car is. Makes it very very easy. Very very easy. Uh, what if you could do? We well, can do groceries while being serviced. How <laughs> would you go get the stuff? Would it be like a local grocery uh, store close by? Is that what we're talking about? To let me know. Tesla should have control and manage the price that people pay for repair work and or service work through the app for continuity and repair prices rather than being charged differently everywhere. Um, do we know if they get charged differently everywhere? I, that's a good question. I don't know if that's the case. I I, I thought the, the repair prices were fairly standard, but... Uh, if it's different, it might it might be tied to logistics cost and uh, labor cost for that region because they, they are different within within like say the states. It can differ quite a bit. All right, let's do uh, one more. Self driving service trucks with parts is cool, but many of the issues won't call for that. But the ideas we're coming up with is awesome. Yeah, really, the the idea here is to just create discussion on how something like this could be done, and. Uh, try and understand all the different variables and the complexities that pertain to being able to do an F1 style uh, pit stop. So, um, oh, and the, the, <laughs> great point here. GM lives on repairs, Tesla doesn't, exactly. So Tesla's incentive is to trying to minimize the repairs as much as humanly possible. But here's the deal. If you have cars that drive themselves and you make the cars as reliable as humanly possible, what are the chances something's gonna break? So ultimately, somebody said this earlier, the best repair is no repair. <laughs> but until we get there, we have to have something like this, unfortunately. So, all right. Thank you guys so much for coming. I hope this was helpful. I hope you guys enjoyed. If you enjoyed it, let's be super official here. Hit the like button if you're enjoying this content. Thank you very much. And yeah, we'll see you soon. Uh, we'll be live uh, tomorrow uh, at the latest. We might do another one today potentially, but yeah, thank you all for coming. I hope this was a helpful discussion and we'll see you on the next one. Take it easy, guys. Bye-bye.